I want to teach today on a very important heart issue topic. Now, next week is probably the mag daddy of all heart issues, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, because if I told you what it is, you wouldn't show up next week, okay? <laughs> you, all, you all could fit in my, my garage. So we're not, but today's a first cousin, and there's a verse out of Ezekiel that is probably the most important verse out of the entire Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, this is what God prophesies he's going to do for his people. And here's what it says. I will, let's go ahead and put that verse up. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. Let's just leave that verse up there for a few minutes. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Say that with me. Here we go. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Now, why do we need a new heart? Well, the reason that we need a new heart is because your heart is dirty, and there's nothing you can do to improve your heart. You can't make your heart cleaner. You can't make your heart fresh. You can't buy enough, do enough, help enough, serve enough. You can't do anything to get your heart right with God. And so what God does, and Carly said this during communion, what God does is he sends his son to the cross. And Jesus Christ on the cross died for your sins. The greatest news today is that you can have your sins forgiven. That's the most incredible news you could ever hear. Maybe some really good news happened to you this past week. I hope so. But the best news is that your sins have been forgiven. And so God has come to give you a new heart. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a heart issue. Our hearts are damaged and we cannot improve upon our hearts. So there is a heart transplant. And so Ezekiel says, there's coming a day, and that would be about 800 years from this verse, about 800 years from now, there will be a Messiah. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds? We always talk about this at Christmas, but you remember what the angels said to the shepherd? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born and he is Christ the Lord. And so I'm going to come someday, Ezekiel says, and give you a new heart. And that's what he's done. Everybody in the room and everybody online who's given their life to Christ, he didn't just clean you up. He gave you a new heart. It's the best news you could ever hear. It, it's the greatest news. It's the, it's the most wonderful news is that Jesus Christ has come to give you a new heart. But he's also come to put a new spirit in you. Now, why do we need the new spirit? Because even though I've got a new heart, I've got toxins, okay? If this was a body illustration, I've got inflammation. There's stuff going on. There's ancillary things going on in my life where I absolutely need a new spirit within me. And we've been talking about those issues like rejection and those issues like unforgiveness, and those issues like bitterness. And all of those things plague all of us all of the time. And so we get saved, and when we get saved, we get a new heart. But I need the Spirit, and the Spirit now is working inside of me to, to help me to overcome all of my disappointments and all of my discouragements and all of my unbelief and all of my harmful actions. 
And so this is incredible news, an amazing verse. Like screenshot it on your phone or put it on your refrigerator. This is a verse to commit to memory. God, you love me so much that you sent your only son to die on a cross for me and you will give me a new heart. I don't know how you're doing this morning. I don't know how your week's been. I don't know what you're looking forward to or not looking forward to come Monday morning. But I've got the most amazing, most wonderful news for you that you can ever hear. You can have a brand new heart. You can give your life to Christ. And if you've not done that, today is a really good day to do that. Jesus, I give my life to you. And he puts his spirit then inside of you. And today's topic, it's a doozy. We're going to talk about control. And all the control people said, I don't really want to hear about that, okay? I, it's not me. Look, look to your neighbor and go, she's a controller. I'm not, you know. Look to him and go, he's a controller. It's not me. Don't, don't put the finger at yourself, right? Now, there's a lot of good things about control. There's a light side of control and there's a dark side of control. We're going to talk about the dark side. But there's a good side of control. You need to control some things. Your blood pressure needs to be controlled. Your weight needs to be controlled. You need to control finances. There's a whole lot of things in your life that absolutely need to be controlled. We're not, we're not talking about those today. We're going to talk about something else today that's, that's more the dark side of control. You see, the antidote to control is trust. And every one of us has to decide whether or not we will put our hope and faith and trust in God. And I think we have to do this five or six times every single day. It's not like once, you know, in my lifetime, well, I'm going to trust you, God. I have to do this five or six times every single day. Am I the only heathen in the room that has to do that? We all have to do that, don't we? You see, we all come to the place like Adam and Eve. Well, we put our faith and trust in God. There's thousands of trees that we can eat in the garden. There's thousands. Will we put our faith and trust in him, or will we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we know we're not supposed to? Will we be like Abraham? No, we know that we're going to have uh, many children, the father of many nations. We know we're going to have children. If we know we'll have heirs, are we going to be like Abraham, or are we going to sleep with Hagar and try to have a, a family you know, genealogy through Hagar? Will we be like Moses? And we know we're the deliverer. We know we've been called to deliver our people. Will we be the deliverer, or will we, at age 40, take things into our own hands, kill the Egyptian, and have to run away for the next 40 years? Will we be like Peter? We heard Jesus say three times, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. Am I going to receive that, or am I going to take out my sword and, and slice off Malchus's ear, the, the high priest servant's ear, when all of a sudden they come to arrest Jesus? You see, every one of us, multiple times, every single day, have to decide in whom or in what will we put our trust. That's why the smartest man in the world said this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He said what? He said, above all else, do what? Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for every issue of life flows from it. Well, I want to go through a couple of lists right now to help us understand control. I'm coming to some scripture, so just hang on. 
but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back into this and talk about trust versus control for just a minute. What are the problems that controlling people create? Now, before I go there, if you run your own business, or if you're a school teacher and you've got 33, you know, four-year-olds or whatever, you need to control the environment. There's a lot of things that you do need to control. And if you're a leader in this room, which most of you are, if you're a leader in this room, if you're a mother and got four kids, whatever it is, there's a lot of things you need to control. So I'm not against control. I'm not against order. I'm not against structure. There's a lot of good things about this. It's within that wide road that we have to figure out what the narrow road of trust is. And everybody in the room has a different lane. And inside that wide road, what does it mean for you to put your faith and your trust in God? And everyone's in a different situation. But what are the problems that controlling people seem to create for themselves? Well, number one is increased anxiety. If controlling people can't control their circumstances, they will kind of flip out. And if there's not inner peace, then somehow I've got to have some kind of peace by controlling my environment. So what are the problems that come along with control? That's what I'm trying to say. What are the issues that come along? Increased anxiety. Number two, troubled relationships. Nobody really wants to work for a boss that's controlling. No, no kid really wants to be in the home. He can't wait to leave the house if the parents are, are, are controlling. Troubled relationships. Number three, severe self-criticism. Controlling people believe that if they're to be successful, it is 100% up to them. They control everything. They must control all the variables. And if they don't control the variables, then they won't be successful. Okay? I know none of you in the room have any of these issues, but those of you online take notes. Okay? <laughs> Number four, harsh judgment of others. You see, controlling people lack faith in other people's abilities. That's why they can't delegate. They won't delegate because nobody else can do it quite like he or she can. Number five is wasted time and energy. I can't tell you how much time and energy I have wasted trying to control things that I absolutely did not need to control. All right, what are the symptoms of a control freak? Again, in this room, I'm going to give you now seven. I'm sure you're 0 for 7. I'm sure none of you are control freaks. But those of you online, put this in the chat. And on the chat, when I get through the seven, say how many of these that you have. And if you've got all seven, just lie. Skew the numbers. Do something different, okay? But in the chat, when I get through with these, I'd like to hear, we'd like to hear from you and see how that you're really doing. Number one, symptoms of a control freak. You're not a good team player. You see, to be a good team player, there's compromise. And control freaks don't want to compromise. They don't know how to compromise. They, they are solo sports. They're not, you know, the hockey players and the soccer players and the basketball players and the football. They, they are truly like, you know, cross-country runners or whatever. They are solo sports. Number two, you believe that you are responsible for your success. That's good, but I don't have time to explain this. It, it's too heavy. Number three, you try to convince other people to change. How many of you have spent a lot of energy in your life, come on, fess up, trying to make other people change? If you've been married over nine minutes, you need to raise your hand, okay? <laughs> session one of our wedding chapel ministry, the pastor who marries you does session one, 
And I get to a place where I tell them, everybody, you will either compliment, and that's C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, not, not, like, not, I like your earrings, not that compliment. You will compliment your spouse, or there will be contempt. Only one or two things happen. And contempt always occurs when you try to change the other person, because you're frustrated. I've been married 36 years. I'm not sure that I've changed the long-legged blonde one millimeter in 36 years. Okay? Not that I'm bitter or upset about that or have any heart issues with that. All right? And she would tell you, I've not budged. You're not going to change the other person. Number four, you have trouble maintaining relationships. Most control freaks don't have any friends or very many friends or very long-term friends. Just recently, I heard of a story from a very reliable friend of mine that in another state, Three ladies went to a lady and said, we're no longer going to be friends with you. It's too much trouble. It's too much issues. There's too much baggage. We're we're not going to continue to maintain a relationship with you. you. We don't know why, but you just wear us out. Where am I? Number five? Is that right? You try to prevent bad things from happening. Well, that's not necessarily bad in of itself. But if you spend all your time trying to do that, you're going to be exhausted. Number six, you don't delegate. You know why you don't delegate? Because nobody can do it as good as you can. So, so control freaks never delegate. And number seven, you lack compassion when others make mistakes. Now, how many of you in the room were at least four or higher? Oh, come on. That, that's all? Okay, that's good. Online, we want to hear how you're doing. And again, if a person in the room is a control freak, just put like eight or nine. Just, just go above this even, okay? I, um, I, I debated on whether or not I was going to put the next section in. But your first service, and you're the nine o'clock hour, thank you for coming early, by the way. I'm so grateful. I'm trying to control the environments. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's really funny. I really appreciate you guys coming. And we need you to come at 9. The 10.30, the last couple of weeks, there are people in the lobby. So thank you. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm grateful. But I, I really hesitated on this last section, but I'm going to do it. And this is about children. This is about parenting and children. And so I want to speak to parents who have the best of intentions but you might be just a little heavy on the control. Can we go there for just a minute? Okay. Maybe you don't have kids, but you know somebody that does have kids. Maybe you've raised your kids, but you're a grandparent or you're going to be a grandparent. So if you would, just indulge me for just a couple minutes. You're going to exhaust your kids. You're going to exhaust them. And well-intentioned parents believe they're giving their kids a competitive edge by getting them involved in all these activities and run, 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 and travel this and go here. And you just, you know, we do all that. And, and, you, and you, for the best of intentions, you honestly believe that you're going to help your children. There's, there's hundreds of studies done on this. I'm going to quote one. There's hundreds. 2011, the Journal of Family and Child Study said this, enrolling kids in extracurricular activities did not make them happier, healthier, or more successful. Actually, it made them exhausted, and it drained the parents' bank accounts, okay? You don't have to listen to a thing I say. I'm I'm just telling you, that will exhaust your kids and drain you. Number two, there won't be any natural consequences. 
if you do all the child's homework and you take care of every issue that goes on in life, that child grows up and never understands how to be responsible because you've done everything. And we have such a hard time as parents letting them fail because we think if they get a, a B plus in, you know, pre-kindergarten, they're not going to be able to go to college. <laughs> and, and so we, we do everything for them. We tell them two or three times, it's cold, you know, take a, you know, take a coat or a rain jacket, and they don't take a rain jacket, and they don't do what you say, so you, you pack one in the car. What if you just let them get wet? God forbid they learn the hard way, right? These are my thoughts. You don't have to agree with the thing I say. Number three, creativity will be discouraged. Why send the message that your way is the only way? I'll never forget playing ping pong with Ethan about age 11. And I play ping pong the way everybody plays ping pong. All of a sudden, Ethan decides to create a new game of ping pong that's never been invented. And he's playing ping pong off the ceiling outside. And there's a certain number of bounces off the ceiling and off the wall. And I thought, who is this kid? And I realized he doesn't think like I think. The creativity outside my, I mean, if I was coloring, give me, a, you know, a coloring book. If, you're, if Ethan's coloring, give him a blank sheet of paper. Do you see the difference? So, so creativity will just, just be squelched. And number four, kids pick up on anxiety. Nervous parents create nervous kids, number four. And then kids just kind of fear making a mistake. I've noticed that even on our staff, that some people that we hire are so fearful of making a mistake, and I will have to go back to them, and I will say, let's, let's risk. Let's take some risks here. Not foolish, but let's, and, and, I, and I can just see, see the fear. When something happened with a staff member, and they made a mistake, and they, they got duped by, you know, a scam, and it cost us a little bit of money as a church, and I called her at 10 o'clock that night. You know, she was new on her staff, and she's crying. She thinks I'm going to fire her, and I was just calling to make sure she was okay. I said, oh, honey, we're not going to fire you. Oh, honey, we just spent X number of thousand dollars on a lesson for you. You just got a great education. Tell me what you learned. You see, we, we, don't, we don't create kids who are afraid to take a risk or, or to, take, to take a chance. All right, so I, I want to now talk about some strategies that will help you. Maybe you're a control freak. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you want to control things because your life is out of control. So what's a strategy to deal with some of these issues? Well, trust is a conscious decision. I have to trust God every... I've trusted God for my salvation. That was easy. Give my life to Christ so all my sins can be forgiven and I get to go to heaven forever. That was a no-brainer. That didn't take a lot of effort. But to trust God in the everyday events of life, to trust God with my time, to trust God with our money, to trust God with the direction of our church, to trust God with Emily is pregnant, she's due any day, to trust that that's going to be okay. I have to lay that down, pray for her, pray for this baby girl. I'm right there with you. I'm no different than you are having to trust God in the everyday of life. So here are some strategies. I want to give you six strategies now that I would embrace. Maybe take one of them, maybe print all six of them. Again, maybe put these on a screenshot on your phone. But here's a strategy to deal with this. Number one is, is don't lean on your own understanding. 
It, it doesn't make sense when the God of the universe says to us in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your understanding. The more I think about that, it's so foolish for me to ever lean on my own understanding. Here's, here's Kurt, and here's God, and I'm not real sure what to do, so I'm going to trust in Kurt. That makes zero sense, doesn't it? And so we learn then to not lean on our understanding. It doesn't mean we don't listen. It doesn't mean we don't do the research. It doesn't mean we don't think. We do all that. But at the end of the day, we must listen to that new spirit that is inside of you. So I, I don't lean on my own understanding. This is a strategy for life. And I don't know about you, but I, this is about five times every single day. Could be money. Could be a decision I have to make. It could be a really hard decision. It could be a really easy decision. It could be a family decision. These are all decisions that you and I are making all day long. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to put my trust in me. I can be deceived. I can be tired. I can be jaded. I cannot know the full picture. I, I am not the wisdom of God. I think about when Paul prays all the time, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So if that's your strategy, that's good enough. Take that one, but I've got a few more if you want to listen to more. Number two, I, I would run to the throne of grace. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says. Let us then approach the throne of God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm really not sure what to do. God, I think I know what to do. God, I see door number one. I see door number two. Is there a door number three? I'm running to your throne of grace in my time of need. And God has greater things in store for you. Another strategy would be to remember God's character. I, I love the character of God. As I read through the Old Testament, I don't understand everything in the Old Testament, but I do understand God's character. God's nature. And just listen to this from Lamentations. I'm sure none of you were reading the book of Lamentations before you came to church this morning, but let me read this to you. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think if we could grasp how much he loves us, I think we'd, we'd just lay it down. I, I, I think if we realized that he sings over us every single day, every single morning, ah, it's a game changer. I would recall God's faithfulness. It's another strategy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a great strategy to remember his faithfulness. Number five, I would pray for greater faith. I'm like that guy in the Bible who says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Anybody else like that way? I believe, but God help me, help my unbelief. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter four, verse five and six. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow. Do not be anxious about anything. I think it says, do not be anxious about anything. I'm not real sure, but I believe that reads, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
right? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Man, what a, what a gift. What a gift. And then this is another strategy is rely on the helper. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Wow. Look, look at that list. That is one amazing list. That, that's your strategy right there. You want to screenshot that? Those of you at home, you've got that. You're taking notes maybe. That, that, that's your strategy for dealing with trust. There's, there's a bright side to control. Don't walk out of here going, yeah, the preacher just says we need to be, you know, lazy and we just need to have blind faith. I, I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm saying just the opposite. You need to lean in and be very intentional and be very strong in these strategies of, of your faith getting larger and larger and larger. I'm encouraging you to put all of your faith and all of your trust in your Heavenly Father. I don't have anybody better to trust. I trust Anita fully. But again, she's down here. I'm, I'm putting my faith and trust in the King of Kings. It's a conscious decision. I don't have the capacity to have control and trust the same space. I got to give up control so that I can have trust. There's not enough capacity inside this cavern or inside of your cavern. And so God has come to give you a new heart. That's, that's great news. But he's also come to put a new spirit inside of you. And that spirit speaks to you. And that spirit guides you. That spirit whispers to you. That spirit sometimes shouts with a megaphone to you. And that spirit of God says to you, trust in me. Will you put your trust in me?